if you have your notes, we're now going to look at the results of the rapture, the results of the rapture. And at some point, probably, as I said, we'll get to uh, those notes because what I've decided to do, I told you last week, is go over this according to basically the outline that Ron Rhodes has in his book on the chronological order of the end times. But then once we finish a segment is go to my notes from many, many, many years ago, um, which you have, that's what you have. Um, again, Dr. Harold Wilmington from Liberty, uh, that taught us this, um, and, and go over that with you to make sure that we've filled all, all filled in all the blanks. So first of all, if you'll turn to second Thessalonians, second Thessalonians, uh, chapter two, and we'll begin reading here in a few, in, well, I'm not going to tell you what verse, so you'll listen to what we're going to say. Um, second Thessalonians two. Anyway, um, Paul is writing to a church that misconstrued what he meant about the second coming of the Lord. The church at Thessalonica thought that Paul taught them that their loved ones that died, that they would not die until the Lord came and took them all to heaven. That's what they thought. Well, Paul is correcting that in the first book of Thessalonians. And in the second book, he's trying to tell them, look, guys, you need to go to work. Because here's what they did. They thought, well, the Lord's coming. It's coming. He's coming quickly. So they just quit working. And they were getting in each other's business and doing things they shouldn't be doing. So Paul corrects that. And in doing so, he corrects their idea about the Antichrist and about what's going to happen in the end time. So you got to kind of keep that context that he's, cor- he's correcting things when, uh, as we go there. So let's go to Second Thessalonians chapter 2 and let me read beginning in verse 6 and we'll read about uh, three verses. He says, and now you know what withholdeth, that's a key word, what, that he might be revealed in his time, meaning the Antichrist, for the mystery of iniquity doth already work. Only he who now lets, some of your Bibles probably say restrains. Only he who now restrains will restrain until he be taken out of the way. And then, and then shall that wicked be revealed. What are some of the other names for the Antichrist in your notes, in your Bible? Lawless one? Yeah, the wicked, mine is capitalized, meaning it's a proper name, be revealed whom the Lord shall consume with the spirit of his mouth and shall destroy with the brightness of his coming. So this verse tells us that the lawless one or the Antichrist cannot be revealed until whatever or whomever it is that is restraining him is taken out of the way. But who is that? Well, there's, there's different opinion of opinion, but I believe we can narrow it down in second Thessalonians two. While you're there, if you go right back over to verse three, it says, let no man deceive you by any means for that day shall not come except there come a falling away first or an apostasy. And it, it's my notes here uh, from Dr. Ryrie says, it is true that the forces of lawlessness, lawlessness were at work in Paul's time and are definitely at work today. 
But the man of lawlessness also, he says, called the wicked one, is an individual who in the future will come to power during the tribulation period. So this man, and and, and again, we're going to cover him a lot when we get into the tribulation. We're going to cover the Antichrist and what what he's all about and how popular and, and powerful he will be. But this man is going to embody sin and he's going to promote sin like it's never, like you wouldn't believe. Now, to be sure, um, this part of biblical prophecy would be a lot easier if the Lord would have just told us who this restrainer was going to be. But for reasons known only to him, as a lot of things in scripture, um, he didn't name him. But we can logically, I think, infer who this is. Now, the early church fathers, meaning those immediately after Jesus, they thought that Rome, because of how powerful Rome was, was going to be the who that um, would be taken out of the way at some point and then allow the Antichrist to take over. But of course, they didn't know then that in the 5th century AD, Rome would be defeated and there wouldn't be another another Rome. And so whoever this restrainer is had to be powerful enough to stand up against Satan. Are we agreed on that? Because that's who's in control during this period. Now, no human being or no government has the power to do that. And according to Daniel 2, 7, the Antichrist, if, and you remember we talked about it in the first Wednesday, is going to rule over a revived Roman Empire. Okay, and that the United States will probably lend whatever power we still may have at that point, you know, to them. But um, again, according to Daniel 2, 7, um, the strongest human government that is out there today cannot restrain sin. The United States cannot. In fact, I think I could make a case that we're not only not restraining sin, we're promoting sin you know, in, in our country today and encouraging it. So what does that leave if a country can't do it and a government can't do it? It only leaves the Holy Spirit. Only God, only the Holy Spirit is powerful enough to restrain Satan. And he, he, he is able to do that because he lives in us. Every one of us in here, because we have the Holy Spirit, Folks, that's a pretty powerful thing right now. If you could think about that, that all of us right now, we have the Holy Spirit, God. God himself lives in us. And I'd like for you to write this down on the back of your notes there. The word restrain that we read is the Greek word kateko, K-A-T-E-C-H-O, K-A-T-E-C-H-O. T-E-C-H-O. It means to hold down. Now, again, I don't like to bore you with a lot of uh, grammatical stuff about the uh, the Greek and, and the Hebrew, but let me just share with you here. In both verses 6 and 7 that we read in 2 Thessalonians, it is what we call a present active participle. But in verse 6, if you remember when I said Pay attention to the word what? Remember that? What restrains? Okay, that's important 
because that means, and rightfully so, they translated it, it is neuter gender. That, that means what restrains, not who restrains. But in verse 7, it is the masculine and it is he who restrains. Now, you know, again, you, you know this. I loved English in school. I loved it in high school. And um, Did you have Mr. Branch too? Yeah. Loved English, loved it in college. Um, you know, and so these, the words mean a lot to me. I, I enjoyed the words, but this occurs in reference to the Holy Spirit. He who restrains and he will be removed. You know, the, you know what the Greek word for, remember the passage that says that all scripture is God breathed. Okay. You know what that word in the Greek is for breathing? Pneuma. P-N-E-U-M-A. You know what we get? Pneumonia, right? Okay, we get the, it has to do with the, with, with respiratory, with, with breathing. Um, and that is a neuter gender word, okay? Neither male nor female. But when you put a masculine pronoun in front of it, then it is he, he. In fact, I would encourage you, look at that passage and then maybe go to sometime to John 17, Uh, And John 16, and just circle all the times that the Holy Spirit is called he over and over and over and over again. Okay. Now, before we move on, any questions on that? I I know I don't want to, I don't want to bore you, but I don't want to leave something out that you later you think, you know, where'd that come from? Okay. So far, so good. All right. Now, this was brought up last week. I don't remember by whom. But um, it's good to mention it now. The Holy Spirit is going to be taken out of the way, but he will still be active on the earth during the tribulation. Um, After the rapture of the church, the Holy Spirit will continue to bring people to salvation. He'll still convict them individually, but he will no longer baptize them, not water, but baptize them into the body of Christ. Does that make sense? It won't be like that any, after he's taken out of the way. Again, he'll still be here active. You remember when he, when he would come upon Samson and Samson would um, do mighty feats. Well, the Bible makes it plain um, in the Old Testament when it would say, and the spirit of the Lord or the power of the Lord came upon them to help them do what they were doing. But it wasn't a permanent indwelling like we have now. Um, let's look at 1 Corinthians 15. 1 Corinthians 15. And let me read. Da, 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 da. 1 Corinthians. I do want 42 and 43. I think. Yep. 42 and 43. Actually, we'll read three of them. You with me on 42? Okay. So also is the resurrection of the dead. It is sown in corruption. It is raised in incorruption. It is sown in dishonor. It is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness. It is raised in power. It is sown a natural body. It is raised a spiritual body. There is a natural body and there is a spiritual body. See, these were two common errors 
that Paul is dealing with here in the Corinthian church. And that is one that the same body that is put in the grave, you know, is going to be the same one that comes out, just reconstituted a little bit differently. The other one is that people were saying, well, the new body won't even be related to the old body. And that also was wrong. So the reference here to, by the way, when he's talking about sowing, what is that a metaphor for? Burial, sown, you know, in dishonor, sown, being buried, okay? So just what he's saying is just as we put a seed in the ground, so the mortal body is sown in the sense that it's buried in the ground. But our resurrection body is raised out of the ground. And thank God, never again will we go through disease or cancer or heart trouble or COPD or diabetes or whatever it may be. Um, you may, I was thinking about this today. Actually, I was doing a, a funeral in Inverness and, and I was thinking about how when I was a boy, um, we lived on a creek. I've told you that story before, but the, the, if you ever been to Charlie's fish house, there's, there's a, uh, the little canal that comes off the bay, you know, that runs under Charlie's goes under the highway comes out on the other side over there there's kind of a park there's a round park and that was there's a spring there and then that runs from there back into the woods and then they cut back in I think 30s or 40s it was kind of a hurricane type thing to prevent but they cut a canal and it went up it went behind the folks that lived across from us where the our black friends lived and then it came up to 495 went under 495 right by our house. You know, we lived on the canal and on around and came out of the place. Some of y'all may remember called Adamac Builder Supply. Came out there, went on down to the Johnson's house and that's where it ended. Well, this canal, when we moved there in 55, it was beautiful. It was crystal clear, fish, you know, everywhere. It was just a, a ball to live by there. And the soil, I'm telling you a long story to get to a point. The soil was that old black muck. It'd grow anything. I mean, it was so rich. It had worms all in it. You know, you could dig worms all day long, get worms and fish. But we had in the hall closet of our house, we had a little jar and daddy and mama would put watermelon seeds in it. Those watermelon seeds, after about a year, they had to die and dry up. And then you could plant them in that muck and it was unbelievable what they would produce. But if you took those, if you were eating a watermelon and you took a live seed and went and put it in the ground, guess what? Nothing. And it makes me think about what the Lord is telling me about our bodies and what it's going to be like at the rapture that you're sown. But listen, unless, in fact, there's another place where Jesus said, unless the seed falls in the ground and dies, it, you know, so I guess what I'm just saying is we, we can be so thankful. Don't take your physical situation too seriously right now. I know that's hard. Listen, when my back spasms tonight, and listen, you don't want to be in the house. I mean, it's a scream of bloody murder. If you've ever had a spasm, you know what I'm talking about. But the, the thing is, this is, this old body 
It's okay to camp out in for a while. But you know what? The last years, 10 years or so, my old tent, as Paul calls it in 2 Corinthians. Let's, in fact, let's read that. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. I read it at a graveside today. Second Corinthians five and verse one. For we know that if our earthly house of this tabernacle were dissolved, what is that talking about? Our body dissolved, meaning death. We have a building of God, an house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. For in this we groan earnestly desiring to be clothed upon with our house, which is from heaven. If so be that being clothed, we will not be found naked or bodiless. See, Paul saying, look, we don't want to be bodiless spirits without a body for we that are in this tabernacle, our body do groan being burdened, not for that we would be unclothed, but clothed upon that mortality might be swallowed up of life. That's why I'm saying don't take your physical situation too seriously. You know, sometimes when I'm doing a funeral, I will explain to them. I'll say, you know, it's like the old house. You know, my old house, the the windows are getting a little bit hard to raise up. Shingles are coming loose. You know, the shutters are getting a little bit loose. And and that's that's the way it, it really is. But Paul truly understood and wanted us to understand that it's only temporary. Amen. It's only temporary. And the result of the rapture is going to be just that, you know, uh, this, the service I did today was for one of our men. Some of you guys may remember Neil Irish. They've been coming a while now and, um, got involved and gave his testimony at our men's group, not many months ago. And, um, I'd never been to the cemetery in Inverness, believe it or not. Um, but it is a beautiful, beautiful place if you've never been there. It's beautiful rolling hills right behind the hospital. You wouldn't know it unless you get back there. But, you know, it's huge. And I was standing there and I was waiting for the family to come. It was a graveside only. And I was standing there and I was thinking, you know, what if the, what if the rapture took place while I'm standing here? Would I be able, I know it's instantaneous, but would I be able to see all the graves of believers opened? You know, I mean, it just, it it thrills me, you know, to think about what we really have in store for us. Okay. The, um, second Corinthians five, five, let me just read that one. We didn't read that far, but it says now he that hath wrought us for the self same thing as God, meaning to have that body who also hath given unto us the earnest of the spirit. So the Holy spirit is a deposit. Did you know that? What is a deposit? What is an earnest? That's by the way, that's what that word means. Some of your Bibles may say deposit. It's a down payment that God will surely do what he said he'll do. Okay. That's the Holy spirit in you is a, is it should be the thing that assures you I'm going in the rapture. You know, I'm going to be there because he's given you and you say, well, how do I know that? Folks, listen, you know, I'm probably more human than you are in this. It's hard for me in my faith because 
I've been one of those show me people, you know, and, and I don't know if you've ever done this, but there was a time some years ago where I would think, Lord, it would sure be nice for you to let me know that the Holy Spirit is in me. Let him bump me on the side or something. You ever, you ever thought that? Let him just, let me feel a beep, beep, beep or something in the back of my back or something like that. But here's the thing. God has shown me what good would that do? You'd probably just doubt that. You've got something better than all of that. God has spoken to you and you can read it anytime you want. And God, and, and how do I know that the Holy Spirit lives in me? Because Jesus said he did. He said, if I go away, I'll send him. I'm not going to leave you as an orphan. I'm going to come to you. So it, it is, uh, and by the way, the Greek word there, it means a pledge, um, you know, so that you will take possession of an item at the exact right time. All right. Um, now let's go to the notes. Any comments or questions before? Yes. Yes. Yeah. And then when we're gone, see, then there's no Holy Spirit indwelling millions of people on the face of the earth. And that's why we kind of mentioned, I think a little bit last week, that if you think things are bad now, um, wait till all the believers are gone. Yes. All right. So now if you have your notes, that's, we're finally going to go there. I'd like to take and just fill in some of the blanks maybe that we didn't get to cover um, in Dr. Rhodes' uh, outline. Some of it we may. All right, let's look at the very beginning, and I'm just going to go quickly now, okay? So stop me if you have any questions, and we're not going to read all the Scripture um, until we get near the end of this. But under the rapture of the church, there are people who would say, well, the word rapture is not in the Bible. How can you know that that's a, a, a truth? Well, as Dr. Wilmington points out, the word uh, Trinity is not in the Bible, but we don't doubt that, right? The word Bible is not in the Bible, but, that, but that's what we call it. So, um, and then we, we did talk two weeks ago about the, the false views of the rapture, that, that the rapture was the same as the second coming. We're all okay with that, okay? Um, that there will be only a partial rapture, that only those who are spiritual Christians will go and the carnal Christians, they're saved, but they're not living for the Lord will be left behind. Paul blows that out of the water in first Corinthians 15, 51, when he's talking to probably the most carnal church that he started Corinth. And he says, we will all be changed. And he's talking to, to carnal believers. We will not all die, but we will all be changed. I see some looks like, wait, 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 any problems with that? that there's not going to be a partial rapture. Christians are going to go. And, and one of the reasons I think that, that um, that's not hard for me to understand is because then there's going to be a judgment seat, right? For Christians. I mean, th so, you know, to me, that'd be like double jeopardy. Um, we already talked about that we believe the rapture will be before the tribulation. Um, and it will not be during the middle or at the end. Um, and... But as I put in your notes there, um, that if you'll find that section, the strongest proof, I believe, of the statement that the church will be raptured before the tribulation 
and we didn't cover this, but let's talk, cover it now, that up until chapter 6 of Revelation, the church is mentioned many, many times. But from chapter 6 to chapter 19, which is the tribulation, all the, the diseases and the, the, the things that are poured out, there is no mention of the church whatsoever. The only group that Satan can find to persecute is Israel. And we will see that. Okay? Um, 2 Corinthians uh, 5.20 uh, tells us that we are ambassadors for Christ, right? You ever read that? We are ambassadors for Christ, okay? Um, God is going to declare war on this earth. He's already said that. He's going to declare war. Now, what does a king or a president, what do they usually do when they're ready to declare war on another nation? Recall the ambassadors. We just saw that. In fact, that might be something you need to be watching. I just saw last week where they were calling some of our ambassadors back from the Ukraine. Okay? So, you know, that's what they do to get them out of there. And so I believe the church, the Lord's going to call his ambassadors out before he destroys the earth. All right? The purpose of the rapture, to judge and reward the church of God. And we'll talk about the judgment here in a minute and rewards to remove to a large extent the spirit of God. We already talked about that. Um, the mystery of the rapture. What do you, what did we say about the mystery? That was to me, I, I love that fact. What did we say about the mystery of the rapture? That if you read the Bible, Remember from Genesis 1, 1, all the way up to 1 Corinthians 15, 51, you would come to the conclusion that you had to die to go to heaven. But Paul says, no, we will not all die, but we will all be changed, so forth. So that was the mystery. Something we did not cover that Dr. Wilmington covers is the trumpet of the rapture. And um, what a name. You ever heard of Dr. Dwight Pentecost? Dwight Pentecost. What a name. You know, uh, I've got four or five of his books. had to take a couple of his classes. But Dr. Dwight Pentecost says the trumpet, that talking about the rapture, and remember when we read it, the trumpet call of God, the archangel, da-da-da. And he says that the trumpet was used for two things in the Old Testament. One, to summon them to battle and to summon them to worship. And I got, I went back and started looking at them in the wilderness. Sure enough, there's the trumpets that Moses introduces and according to how they blew it, they knew whether to fall in line to go fight or whether to go toward the tabernacle and worship. So kind of interesting. Um, to the angels, the trumpet means prepare to battle. To believers, prepare to worship. All right. We talked also about the rapture in the Old Testament. Remember we talked about Enoch. Um, that not a, not a total rapture, but people going to heaven without dying. And Elijah and Lot, you know, being taken out of Sodom before the fire fell. So any comments or questions before we move to the next main section? Because this is the part I really like. The challenge of the rapture. Okay, and I've said this every week. Um, it's not enough just to um, 
talk about the events and say, oh, I got that knowledge. But what does the Bible say we're supposed to be doing? Um, now, I already had this in my notes. And then um, um, Peggy Simon gave this to me this week. And it, it's, it's a real neat little book. You can read it in about 15 minutes. But it's by Dr. David Jeremiah. And it's what we should do until Christ returns on the rapture. It's kind of a neat thing. Um, some of it overlaps here, but not all of it. All right. Challenge number one. We're supposed to attend the services of the Lord regularly. Let's, let's, let's look at these scripture. Cause you think, well, you're just, you know, you might be just making that up to make a point to get us to come to church. Well, that's okay. Even if we did, but, but in Hebrews 10, 25, and again, we're looking not just at this statement, but why? Not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another and so much the more as you see the day approaching. What is the day approaching? Christ coming. I mean, in other words, you know, if you believe Jesus is coming, you ought to be in church. You ought to be worshiping with believers. That's what he's saying here. Um, 1 Corinthians 11. I read this one um, today in my regular Bible readings. 1 Corinthians 11. We're to actually observe the Lord's Supper. When we do it in here, we're supposed to observe the Lord's Supper with the rapture in mind. Okay, 1 Corinthians 11. And look at verse 26. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you do show the Lord's death till he come. Right? Okay. First uh, Thessalonians 3. First Thessalonians 3. Not second, Lord. First. Do, 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 do. And da, 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 verse 12, and the Lord make you to increase and abound in love one toward another and toward all men, even as we do toward you. And by the way, there's not a period there. It should be a colon, I think. To the end, he may establish your hearts unblameable in holiness before God, even our father at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ with all his saints. So what are we supposed to do? We're supposed to love all men, but especially believers. Folks, isn't that what the Lord said? They'll know that you're my followers by your love for one another. Okay, so we're supposed to love each other. Why? Because the Lord's coming. Um, James 5, 8. We're supposed to be patient. Now, why did that make you laugh? Because we don't, because we're not patient. Five eight, be you also patient. Establish your hearts. Why? For the coming of the Lord draws nigh. So we're to be patient. Now here's something that a lot of people don't like to to read, but let's read it anyway. First John, chapter three. And that's going to be near the end, toward, getting toward Revelation. First John chapter three, 
1 John 3, 2 and 3. Beloved, now are we the sons of God, and it doth not yet appear what we will be, but we know that when he shall appear, second coming, or rapture, we will be like him, for we will see him as he is. And every man that hath this hope in him purifieth himself, even as he is pure. Now, while you're there, so you don't laugh at having to turn back and forth, go to 1 John 2, should be pretty close there, and then verse 28. And now, little children, abide in him, that when he shall appear, we may have confidence and not be ashamed before him at his coming. Now, that's quite an interesting verse, isn't it? That we as believers could be ashamed at his coming? Well, we'll we'll maybe talk about that when we talk about the judgment. And then um, there's Titus. Get over there to Timothy and Titus. Titus chapter 2. And 12 and 13, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lust, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world, looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior, Jesus Christ. So what are we supposed to do? And I didn't even read Romans or Corinthians yet. We are to live a separated life. We're supposed to live a separated life. Now, um, how do you do that in a world without being contaminated by the world? I mean, Jesus himself said, Father, I'm not praying that you take them out of the world, but that you be with them while they're in the world. How can we maintain our testimony in this world and live separately from the world, but yet not avoid all unbelievers? How do we do that? Okay, but then we still have to go out in the world. But you're on the right track of what my thought process is. That that's why being together like this is so important. And that's why worshiping together is so important so that we go out into that world you know, we all have to do that. We, we're all around unbelievers every day. More unbelievers than there are believers. And we have to interact with them. You know, I'm sure that tomorrow, I'm sure that tomorrow, there'll be somebody that probably won't be a believer yet. Um, and, and yet we have, to, we have to interact with them. And we have to show them what, you know, what a Christian life is like without being overbearing and without being judgmental. But we have to live a separated life. And, um, and, and I know sometimes that can be difficult. You know, um, we're in the world, but we're not of the world. And that's, that's difficult sometimes to get, get just right. Number six, we're supposed to refrain from judging others. And this is talking about a spiritual judgment. You know, not that I see somebody about to kill somebody. And I say, well, not for me to decide whether that's right or wrong. 
That's not what it's talking about. You know, it's talking about it in a spiritual sense. Um, and that would be 1 Corinthians 4, 5. Um, we are to preach the word. In 2 Timothy 4 and verses 1 and 2 and 1 Peter 5, you have Paul telling Timothy, preach the word. Do it when it's convenient. Do it when it's not convenient. When it's in season, when it's out of season. And he says, instruct them, rebuke, exhort, encourage. So there's all these things that, that all, and, and by the way, if we read all them, I'm trying to save some time, but if we read all those scriptures, it is all in the light of the fact that Jesus is coming. So that's what we're supposed to do. Um, we're supposed to comfort the bereaved. In 1 Thessalonians 4, 16 and 18, and I read that at the graveside today, that passage um, where Paul said, I don't want you to be ignorant, brethren, about those that have fallen asleep, that you grieve like men that don't have hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, that we also believe that when God, when, when Jesus comes, God is going to bring with him all of our loved ones. And he goes on to say, da, 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 and then that we will be called up together with them in the clouds and forever be with the Lord. And the last sentence is, therefore, encourage each other with these words. Why? Because they were discouraged. And then in the book of Jude, in verses 21 through 23, it tells us that the man and the woman that wins souls is wise. So we're to be witnessing. We are to be witnessing. And then we are to be concerned with heaven. Colossians 3, I think I'll turn in and read that one for some reason. In Colossians chapter 3. It sounds like it might be a good one to read. Colossians 3, 1 through 4. If you then be risen with Christ, meaning you're saved, seek those things which are above, where Christ sitteth on the right hand of God. Set your affection, that means your view of life, Set your affection on things above, not on things on the earth. For you are dead and your life is hid with Christ in God. When Christ, who is our life, shall appear, then shall you also appear with him in glory. Second coming. When Christ appears, you will also appear with him in glory. So we're to be concerned with heaven. Any comments on those 10 things? That we ought to be, and there's, I'm sure there are others, that we ought to be concerned with while we're waiting for the Lord to come. Can you think of anything else that we ought to be doing while we're waiting for the Lord to come? Do what? That'll keep us busy, won't it? <laughs> he said, if you do that, you've done enough. That's true. What's that? Yep. Read your Bible every day. Read something in the Bible every day. A lot of prayer. Yeah. A lot of prayer is absolutely right. Yes. Yep. Serving others. We're going to talk about that this Sunday. Yep. Well, let's look quickly then at the effect of the rapture. We're almost finishing this little segment. Um, what do, you, what do you think, how are they going to, how will, well, let's assume that as soon as the rapture takes place, quickly thereafter, the Antichrist is going to be revealed, you know, brought to, to power. How do, you think, how do you think they're going to explain 
millions and millions of people being gone all at once. COVID. A COVID variant. Yeah. Aliens. Oh, there'll be some that'll say that. Yep. Anyone else? Yeah. Yeah, I don't I don't know how the Antichrist is going to explain it, but he is. And he's going to be so persuasive that they'll believe him. Yeah, I was going to say, you know, the Holy Spirit is going to be here, but it's not going to dwell in anybody. So the sin is going to be so bad that they can persuade anybody at that time. Yeah. One thing we're all kind of missing, and I just thought of it myself. I was missing it. Can you think what that might be? Not not war. The Bible says that those people who are left behind, who had a chance to get saved but didn't, are going to be sent a strong delusion that they'll believe a lie. And somehow he's going, in fact, my, this is only my opinion. My thought opinion would be that they're going to say, well, see, God took them troublemakers out of here. You know, all those bigots and all those, I mean, seriously, God took them out of here. Yeah. So anyway, believers will be missed. And uh, I was trying to find that place in my notes. I know I wrote it somewhere. Um, Somebody can find it for me. There's only one time in the Bible where the word Maranatha is used. And that, that literally means, behold, he cometh with the clouds. You know, so that, that's how I'd like to end this section on the rapture. Any comments or questions on the rapture? Yeah, I believe that's probably true and probably a combination of all we've talked about will make people, you know, explain away. And plus, through his power that he's going to have to bring economic and everything else security, people are going to think, well, it must be true. They do it today. If something's positive, well, that must be true, you know, and that's, that's not necessarily true. It can be a lie. So, yes, that's where it's at. First Corinthians sixteen, twenty-two. Maranatha, he cometh with the clouds. Okay, okay. Kind of moving along here. Now, we're assuming that the rapture's taken place. We're with the Lord. And our loved ones, we got our resurrected bodies that we're going to have for eternity. Okay. And so now other things are going to happen. There'll be uh, 
as we're going to cover, maybe get to it next week, the tribulation starting. When that starts, there's some uh, questions there. I'm going to try to explain it. Um, But right now, at some point, when we're with the Lord, there's going to be a judgment seat of Christ for believers. Uh, It's called the Bema judgment seat. And that's what the word Bema means in the Greek, means judgment seat. And uh, that that was a very um, familiar term, believe it or not, in Paul's day. But folks, all believers, and so let's go. We do have time to, tonight, and we'll um, at least hopefully get this done. We'll read from the book of Romans, chapter 14. Ninety-nine percent of uh, the judgment seat issues I've resolved. There's one issue, and I mentioned it to you last week. Uh, if you remember this, and I ask you to be thinking about it, and that is how can millions, if not billions, stand individually before the Lord and he judges? You know, is it, is it that now time does not mean anything, you know, and, and it could take 10,000 years? I don't know. Um, or because the Holy Spirit, God lives now up there in heaven that that he's able to personify himself to everybody. You know, I mean, he can certainly do that if he lives in us right now. See, I believe that right now, if God wanted to, he could reveal himself to every one of us in here in some way inside of us, if he wanted to, you know? And so anyway, um, Romans chapter 14, let's look at verse eight. For whether we live, we live unto the Lord. Whether we die, we die unto the Lord. Whether we live, therefore, or die, we are the Lord's. For to this end, Christ both died and rose and revived, that he might be Lord both of the dead and living. But why dost thou judge thy brother? Or why dost thou set at naught thy brother? For we shall all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. For it is written, as I live, saith the Lord, every knee shall bow to me, and every tongue shall confess to God. Okay, and then go to 1 Corinthians 3. 1 Corinthians 3 and verse 11. This is the key passage probably. For other foundation can no man lay than that is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now, if any man build upon this foundation, in other words, you got saved, that's the foundation. Jesus is the foundation. And if a man build on that foundation, gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, stubble. So there's six different kinds of things that we could build with. Every man's work shall be made manifest for the day will declare it because it will be revealed by fire and the fire shall try every man's work of what sort it is. If any man's work abide, which he hath built thereupon, he shall receive a reward. If any man's work shall be burned, he shall suffer loss, but he himself will be saved yet. So as by fire, pretty strong, isn't it? Good stuff, though. Now let's go to chapter 9 
of 1 Corinthians. I'm trying to do this in an order that we don't have to turn too much. 1 Corinthians chapter 9. And verse 24. Know you not that they which run in a race run all, but one receives the prize? So run that you may obtain. And every man that striveth for the mastery is temperate in all things. Now they do it to obtain a corruptible crown, but we an incorruptible. I therefore so run, not as uncertainly, so fight I not as one that beateth the air, but I keep under my body and bring it into subjection, lest that by any means when I have preached to others, I myself should be cast away, meaning disapproved. Paul is not saying there nor anywhere else that you can lose your salvation. What he's saying is, you know, I just don't want to be live in such a way that my testimony's ruined. Okay, and when we read that other passage, and we're going to stop there so I don't get too involved in it. In 1 Corinthians 3, 11 through 15, it's, it's encouraging to me to read that there's going to be things, I'm sure, when I stand before the Lord, that burn. There wood, hay, and stubble, but not me. I'm saved, yet so as by fire. You know, and thank, thank God for that. So, all right, we're going to talk next week uh a little bit about this judgment seat um, and what all that means. Very little, not a whole lot there. And then we're going to get into some of the biggie, heavy stuff on the invasion of Israel. Um, and that's going to be something we really have to take our time with. All right. Any other comments or questions? Okay, let's go to the Lord in prayer and then we'll go home. Lord God, thank you for this day and thank you for the opportunity today to share your word uh, at a graveside and to be uh, hopefully a comfort through your word to family members. And we pray now that you will guide each of us. Uh, Lord, I'm sure in this room there's some tomorrow that they're going to have their own doctor's appointment. And I pray for blessing and success. Uh, for their life and their health. And I pray for those that I'll be speaking with tomorrow that you'll give them wisdom and discernment to know what to do. And thank you for them. Thank you for our doctors and nurses and those in the health industry, Lord. And and I know a lot of people, they pray for miracles and, and we do pray for that. But Lord, I think you've given us miracles and given us trained people and letting them find things that... Um, uh, that we need in order to live a healthy life. So that's why we ask your blessing and your knowledge given to them. Keep us safe. Prepare our hearts for Sunday. In Christ we ask, amen.